0: If you live in San Francisco, you better come and see us at the Castro. Nice. <laughs> that was horrid, but really nice, Chuck. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, so we are going to be, as the song says, uh, at the Castro Theater on January 14th for San Francisco Sketch Fest, Chuck.
0: That's right. We go there just about every year now, and it's a lot of fun. And San Francisco, you always treat us so well, so I recommend a stocking stuffer or two. Hmm. in the way of Stuff You Should Know Live tickets. And there's an extra stocking stuffer
1: they can get featuring just Charles W. Chuck Bryant, right?
0: Oh, that's right. I'm doing my very first ever movie crush live oh. at The Punchline. And I am having as my guest Mr. Tony Hale of beep yep. in Arrested Development, mm-hmm. Mr. Buster Bluth himself. And oh, man. I know, right? And we're going to be talking about the movie Punch Drunk Love. And uh, it is at 1 p.m. So you could double dip that day. See me yep. at 1 See Stuff You Should Know at Night. And I am even going to be doing a little meet and greet before and after.
1: Fantastic, Chuck. This is why they call you the hardest working man in show business. (laughs)
0: That's right. And you can get tickets for Movie Crush Live at bit.ly slash crush.
1: Yep. And you can get tickets for our uh, Sketch Fest show at sysklive.com. And there's still a few tickets left for Seattle the following day on January 15th. So sysklive.com and bit.ly slash crush, Chuck. Correct. That's right. We'll see you guys in January.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W., Chuck Bryant, and Jerry. The three of us were just lobotomized, so we're feeling just fine.
0: Globe of Death. That's
1: right, or, or, because it's huge down in South America, El Globo de la Muerte, which I, I think I prefer that one.
0: El Globo de la
1: Muerte. El Globo de la Muerte. Jerry?
0: She just That's said right, it. right, Jerry, good job.
1: <laughs> Man, I think she did it better than anybody.
0: Well, Jerry actually speaks Spanish. That's right. She's not a a, a faker like us. Uh, no, she's not. I'm so mad at learn Spanish. Are you? Oh, yeah, you did German. I did French. Just so dumb. Like, how helpful would it be to know Spanish now? It would be pretty helpful. I would love to chat it up with Spanish-speaking people I see every day in my life. Uh Yeah, well, you it's never too late to learn, Chuck. And know what they're saying about me. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's too late. I'm, it's over. No, it's
1: not. I'm saying it's not too late.
0: No, no, no. It's too late. I'm not learning a new language. I, I think that's sad. I'm going to go learn Spanish just to show you. Oh. And so you can talk about me in Spanish, Mama back? <laughs> yeah, me and Jerry can. <laughs> uh
1: so Chuck. Yes. We're not talking about learning Spanish or whether it's too late to learn a language. Because it is. It's not. Uh we are talking about, like you said, the globe of death. Also known as the um globe of steel. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that was a Ringling Brothers marketing department invention, or PR department invention. Because they don't hear like, oh, death. No. We can't have, like, a globe of death at our circus. We don't want anybody to see our elephants and start thinking about death.
0: <laughs> about sphere of fear? That's a good one, too. Eh. Yeah. Uh,
1: what about the um, 360-degree circle of Intimidation. I just came up with that one. It's not that great, huh?
0: We should. No, that was terrible. Uh, We should tell people what we're talking about because I can sense the frustration weeks from now Mm -hmm. brewing with angry Mm -hmm. listeners. Sure. Already. So the globe of death, what we're talking about is if you've ever been to a circus or. A fair. A fair. And by the way, this is, we thought we would never add to the circus arts suite again. Here it is. And here it is.
1: There's still more to come.
0: Uh, what county fairs, state fairs,
1: sometimes like um, like if you have like a pretty good um music festival, they might have something. Oh, like this.
0: okay, maybe a Jane's
1: Addiction show. Who knows? Yeah, what? Uh, what's the uh, the
0: World's Fair? Remember those?
1: Oh man, they still have them, but they're just not the same any longer. And I think yeah. the U.S. pulled out of them a decade or two back. I
0: think the internet killed it.
1: As a matter of fact, you're absolutely right. That's what I read. Because I, I just the other day I was thinking, like, um, whatever happened to World's Fair? And it turns out they're still there. They're called like International Expos or something now.
0: Yeah, it's. Um,
1: and the, yeah, they are just. They're just not as interesting. It's, um, it's not about like the future, and and they specifically said that it's just the internet. Now you can go on the internet and find all that stuff. Yeah. Without leaving your home.
0: Internet's ruined so much. That's one way of looking at <laughs> So globe of death, what we're talking about, or we could beat around the bush for another 10 minutes. No, no, really we'll good. We'll go. let's, let's go. <laughs> uh, is if you've ever been to the circus or those places, they might have this attraction <clears throat> wherein there is a, uh, a steel sphere mesh, a, a steel mesh. So you can see through it. Yeah. You can see through it. Uh, but you can still see it's there. It's not invisible. Yes. That would be. That'd be amazingly cool, yeah. (laughs) Uh, wherein there are one, but usually more than one motorcycle riders riding inside of a of a globe, um, around and around, horizontally, vertically, doing a loop to loop, like all the way from the top to the bottom, and over
1: and over again. And yeah, when you like just one person doing this, this article says it's kind of boring. I wholeheartedly disagree, and I would like to see the author try to do it right. Well,
0: yeah, sure. But compared to like when you got four or five people in there. Right. And then a lady standing in the middle smoking a yep. cigar. That's another, <laughs> right. That's Juggling pretty, babies. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Get a baby yeah.
1: juggler. Um, and I think the, the record that I saw, somebody was trying to break seven and, and do eight motorcyclists in a sphere at <sighs> once. Um, I, didn't see anyone had actually done it. There's been a lot of talk about it, but I didn't see anyone had done it. Um seven is the most that I've seen. Although I've seen with my own eyes on video eight. <laughs> oh wow. Um I just Oh no, I'm sorry. Seven is the most I saw uh, with my own eyes on video, but it is. It's amazing because, you know, they'll, they'll follow one another in a circle, which is pretty cool, but then one will like break off and start doing something perpendicular to the oh, other man. circle. And they'll just like, just miss each other every time. Yeah. And it's just a, an amazing feat of, of, um, machine and mind coming together in this feel. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to. I think, 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 think. I might have it figured out physics-wise. This is kind of a rehash of the Sun episode, as, as hard as it is to
0: understand. Oh, I, thought, I didn't think this was that bad. Oh, well, then you take it. Oh, no, I'm not taking it. No, you take it. But man. I just saw, like, a few basic principles, and bing, bang, boom. Well, my brain
1: broke trying to figure it out, and I, I think I got it, but I also may have gone insane and come up with a completely, entirely um, different interpretation of reality.
0: Well, you're on a podcast. Right. Your name is Josh Clark. So I must be nuts. <laughs> uh you what I want to see in one of these things is a uh motorcycle with a sidecar with a small child. <laughs> <laughs> or a monkey. That'd be even better.
1: Yeah. A cigar smoking monkey. Uh-huh. Like Wouldn't that see? be fun? Yeah.
0: And the monkey's just like, what is going on?
1: Yeah. Because that's what monkeys were put on earth for for to do, to smoke cigars in sidecars while we move them around globes <laughs> of death.
0: All right, shall we go into some history here? Yes. Because I was very surprised to learn that the globe of death was invented. And patented in 1904. Yeah, I
1: saw it was invented even before then. Oh, well, sure, probably. That it was sometime in the 1890s in Europe, somebody came up with this act. Crazy. But yeah, it is surprising. You'd think this would be like 70s daredevil era kind of stuff, right? Sure. But no, the 19th century is when it was first invented. And here's the, here's the gas of the whole thing. (laughs) The original ones, the original globe of death was ridden in on bicycles.
0: Pedal fast, sir. And unicycles. Pedal super fast, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know. I don't see how that worked. Cause mm-hmm. as we will learn later in the physics, uh, in the post ad break physics section, mm-hmm. uh, it's all about speed. It is very much about speed. How did they I, do this on a bicycle?
1: Well, I don't think they did the loop to loop. I think that came later after motorcycles. Well, the motorcycle okay. So they just
0: speed. did sort of, uh, horizontal-ish circles. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right. Which which I'm sure if it was the 1890s you'd be like, "Wow, I'm I'm impressed." Yeah, sure. I live in Wisconsin and I'm preoccupied with <laughs> death and horribleness, so this is a real relief for me.
0: So, uh Grand Rapids, Michigan, where it was where the first one was patented by a man a bicycle stuntman named Arthur Rosenthal. And uh he had a stage name Arthur Rose. He had a partner, Mr. Frank Lemon. I know, that's a, a Lemon Rose. I love that word together. Lemon rose, that sounds very nice, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's pleasant. Um, it's it no cellar a, door, but.
1: No, but it's close. Yeah. It's in a different direction. It should be like a type of gum, sugar free
0: gum. Sugar free lemon rose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even chew gum and I'd chew that. Yeah. Uh, so they would do like these little, you know, 10, 15 minute routines. Uh, here's a quote from one of the state fairs. Uh, routines of skill and nerve guaranteed to deliver laughs and roars. Mm hmm. And, but. You, you gotta again, like that. They were on bikes, bicycles. Yeah.
1: So w- w- uh, I guess around 1910s, the motorcycles started to become a little more ubiquitous, a little more affordable. And the first thing that people did with them was put them in the globe of death.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know they, about the first, but sure. They, they would, <laughs> they cast their
1: bikes aside and said, I've got plans for you motorcycle. Where have you been all my life? That's right. So they started riding these things and, um, it just spread like further and further a field. I guess it started in Europe, made its way to America because the Arthur Rosenthal was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? Yeah. Um, and it moved down to South America in pretty short order. So I think by 1912, there was a guy named Jose Urias um, who had built his own globe of death um, back then and was riding in it as well uh, down in Brazil. And his family's actually still around and still performing the Urias Brothers, uh, Globe of Death act.
0: Yeah. Remember our Circus Families podcast? Oh, were they, they were in that, huh? I think they were either in it or it, it, you know, I was just pointing out generally, like you do something like this and your kid's going to probably grow up and do something like this. Right. Exactly. You know, it's a family and, and, trade.
1: Yeah. Now, now they're up to the great grandsons are the ones who are, um, performing in the show, and what I read was that Jose Urias' 1912 globe of death is still in use by them. They have other globes as well, but yeah. it's still in usable condition.
0: That's the true globe of death, like it's where you to. could actually die.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: Um, you may have noticed earlier I said something about the word patent uh, from Arthur Rosenthal. He did mm-hmm. get a patent in on May 3rd, 1904, mm-hmm. and you also heard us mention Things like South America and Germany, right, right. And you may be thinking, "Well, that's great." Art Rosenthal was getting bank from all these globes of death everywhere. Uh, sadly, that did not happen. No, uh, he had a patent, but I guess it was just one of those things where, early 1900s, you're going to have a hard time chasing these people down around the world, saying, "I own the patent to that. Give me a hundred dollars."
1: Right. Well, I mean, I think even though they their paths must have crossed, I can't imagine the globe of death community even around the world was like a big group, you know? So I'm sure he was keenly aware of it, but I don't know. Maybe he just didn't pursue it because it was international. Who knows?
0: Well, I just think at the time it's just so hard to successfully do that internationally, you know?
1: Yeah, I think you're right, man.
0: So at any rate, we got numerous globes of death all around the world. Uh, a lot of the writers, um, where did you get this history section?
1: I can't even tell you, I don't remember. Alright,
0: well they, they mentioned quite a few Speedies. Uh, Speedy Wilson, Speedy McNish, who, I like Speedy McNish. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and Lou, uh, Louie, Speedy Babs. And, uh, it says Babs on one line and Babbas in another, so I'm not sure which it is. We're going with Babs. I like Babs. But, um he was notable because he was the very first person to do a loop to loop and not just merely ride horizontally, right? Which is very impressive for what nineteen thirties to fifties?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was. I think his was thir- nineteen thirty four, or no? He set the. He set a world record. This guy was an, a Globe of Death, a Maze Balls guy. Um, he set a world record after being the first to do the loop to loop. He set a world record of a thousand and three loops inside of a globe. They should call these amaze balls. I think it's still, they should. <laughs> That's a great name. Amaze balls of death. <laughs> amaze balls de la muerte. <laughs> um, but I think his record is still unbroken of 1,003. It's got to just be because somebody's like, I don't feel like spinning around that many times.
0: Yeah, just, people are too busy. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> that would take hours. I have a family.
0: Uh, but like you said, there are many families all over the world that have been doing this for many, many decades. Mm-hmm. And it seems very much to have stayed in the family biz. Uh, and one of the ones in our article they talk about a lot are the, uh, are they the Uriases? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there, there was a heyday of the globe of death between World War One and World War Two. Um, that may have actually been its original golden age, but it also like spread around the world around that time then too. Um, there was another one like in the seventies, the sixties and seventies. There were some innovations that we'll talk about. Um, and then it kind of became, like, almost legit in the early 2000s when, like, long-established circuses started to pick up the axe. Like, the Uriases, I believe, were hired by Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. Um, the uh, Universe Soul Circus picked up the Willie family. Um, and so, <laughs> like, like, they kind of went from, I think, like, um, these kind of uh, scratching out an existence, like, having to hustle to to basically like corporate sponsorship, like finally the big circuses got hip to this idea in the early two thousands.
0: Should we take a break? Yeah, let's. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back mm. and uh, well, we'll talk about the club of death.
1: All right, man. So we're back, and as you said, we're talking about
0: the globe of death. That's right. <laughs> <Keep> <laughs> yeah. Sure. So these things. Here's the deal with these: is they vary in size. Generally speaking, unless you're pulling off some pretty uh, amazing tricks with lots of riders or trying to set some big record, you're probably looking at a at about a sixteen footish in diameter uh, sphere. And they need to go and it's amazing that they were doing this in the thirties and forties when motorcycles were so heavy. Well, uh, the globe of death got its name from killing some people for sure. Oh, for real? Oh yeah. Okay. I figured, and but there
1: have been many, many, many injuries. But yes, you're right. Especially early on, it was exceedingly dangerous.
0: Yeah. So these motorcycles are a lot more powerful and lighter now. So if you're going to be in the globe of death business, now is a good time to do it. Um, you're going around generally 40, 50, maybe 60 miles an hour at the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, three and a half to four and a half G's. Uh, and that is, uh, G force on your body. And that's what's generally happening. You're, you're on a trajectory that you have pre-planned, but you are not on a track and it, it doesn't use magnets. Yeah. It's literally just physics at work. Yeah, apparently a lot of people think that there's a
1: trick or an illusion to it and there actually is not. And again, we're we're not we're not to the physics yet. We got to hang on. But we're going to talk about it eventually. That's right. So, like you said, the globes themselves have kind of a universal size although it changes, but there are also other things that the globes do. So, it's amazing enough that there's people like riding around these things in in, in on motorcycles. But I think one of the first um, families to use a split globe was the Uriases. Uh, I saw a picture that they credited to the 60s where the globe hydraulically splits in half and the top part lifts up. And guess which side or which part the rider's r- moving in at the time, The right? upper, The upper part. So they are actually in the top half of the globe. And now there's, like, no bottom. The bottom is well below, and there's a big gap between the top half and the bottom half of the globe of death, and the riders just circling around the top. How big is that gap? Uh, in the picture, it looked to be a good five to six,
0: seven feet. Oh, I misread this whole move then.
1: Oh, dude, it is not like a, it's, it's like they can very easily just go flying out. If they, if they got too close to the edge, that's, their toast.
0: See, here's what I thought uh happened during a split globe trick is that they, they split it by about eight inches and then would just continue to span that split. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Vertically. But no, this is yours. Not yours. You didn't invent it. But. Well, I presented <laughs> it. Yours is way better. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agreed. And to see it is actually
1: pretty amazing. Um because it it just it just brings home the whole the whole thing. Where before, yes, they have a bottom, but it's still it's a really scary sphere of death, right? Sure. But now there's nothing. There's just the top. It's 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 incredible. It's an incredible thing to see. Everyone basically should go to YouTube and check it out right now, Split Globe. Um there's also a family, I believe it's the Torres family who um, f- were the first to introduce a, a triple split globe. So there's a top, a middle, and a bottom. Whoa. And so I think the one I saw was th- they were um, circling the middle part, the middle band. So it's really just this narrow little um, band of steel that they have to, like, stay on track with yeah. or else go a little higher, a little lower. Again, you're toast.
0: Right. Uh, and you think that um, the dangerous part would be sticking to the globe with that motorcycle. That is not the case because once we explain the physics, which we're still not going to do yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, like physics takes care of that. So it's it's pretty easy. Like there's a formula that you figure out how fast you need to be going. Mm-hmm. And it's constant. Like you don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, it's really those G-forces – once you get in there, these one of these Urias dudes said when they go upside down, he said, our heads are at gray out. Like right. they come close to passing out in this thing from the G-Force. And there's one trick they do with – uh is it one of their wives that they put in there? Mm-hmm. And she she's an aerialist, so she hangs from the center while they ride around her. And they said when – there's a certain point in that show where she can't see us and we can't see her. Mm-hmm. And you just have to trust that it is – Mapped out and timed and practiced.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mapped I out haven't...
0: and timed before you even practiced.
1: Right. Yeah. Um. And I it is it's basically all timing from what I understand, but they have all that like just ticked off in their heads. Yeah. Just from experience. Amazing. Um. One of the other things that really comes into play are the bikes that they use. Right. So for this How Stuff Works article, I I think they actually interviewed the uh one of the Urias brothers. And he was saying that, like, all the bikes they use are modified dirt bikes. Yeah. So they, they're powerful, but they're also lightweight. But then they modify them and change them from, like, 125 cubic centimeter engine to about 150 cubic centimeter engine, but it's still on that same light dirt bike, right? So it's got a lot of power, <clears throat> but there's only a certain amount of speed you're going to get to anyway, um, because as we'll see in the physics, which we're not getting to yet, um, <laughs> if you speed up too quickly, you're going to increase the G-force too much and you're going to black out. And that's a terrible thing to have happen to you while you're in the globe of death, right? Yeah. So there's only a certain amount of speed you need. So horsepower, which is the quality in the engine that you want to hit high top-end speeds. The quality? The <laughs> quality. The quality of that engine. <laughs> that's uh, Thanks for pointing that out because I think I would have gotten it past a few people had you not said anything. Yeah. Hang on, man. I'm, I'm here on my fingernails. Just, just, so um, horsepower is not important. What is important is torque. Right. And torque is that thing where you know when you hear like oh this car can go from 0 to 60 in like 5 seconds or whatever. Sure. That's all torque. That's a that's an expression of torque. And torque is um the uh, the power that it takes to spin something on its axis, like a rotational power, right? Yeah. And so you know like you're spinning an axis when you're making a tire move. And the faster you can make that tire move from a dead stop, the quicker you can go in the shorter amount of time. That's torque. And that's what really counts on the bikes in the globe of death because you want to be able to just take off and be spinning around um like f- from a dead standstill in-, in no time at all. Yeah, well, because- they actually
0: rock it back and forth a little bit to get it. The- Get the timing right,
1: even better. Yeah, but they still want really high torque, and so that's the that's what they're looking for with these bikes. Um, as far as as the big modification goes, as as much torque as you can possibly have.
0: Can I tell you a torque story? Oh, you have a torque story. Oh, I got a torque story. <laughs> Let's hear it. So, uh, vacation this year, Isle of Palms, where mm-hmm. I uh, famously uh, lost another tooth on a crustini. On a crustini. This was pre. No, I think this is after I lost a tooth. Okay. Regardless, we went out to dinner one night uh, at Isle of Palms uh, as opposed to just cooking up tons and tons of seafood at the house, which is what I like to do. Sure. And we got a uh, car ride to the restaurant, Uh, had a great time, had quite a bit to drink. Okay. Big celebratory. I think it was the final night dinner. And then afterward, we call a car to pick us up, and a dude shows up in a Tesla Uh. A Tesla car.
1: Like this is a ride sharing app?
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. So he shows up in a Tesla and I was like, oh, well, this is great. We're all excited. Uh, little buzz. No one had ever ridden in a Tesla Mm -hmm. and he got us in this thing and he was, he was sort of telling us a very cool guy, uh, college student paying for his Tesla (laughs) and school through driving it uh, for people and, um, he was just telling us all about it. You know, people I, I get a sense that Tesla uh, owners like to show off their Teslas. Sure. Because they're so neat. Right. And uh, it really was cool. And I'm not a car guy. I'm knocked out, not knocked out by much in a car. But I was like, this is pretty great. Uh, so I'm sitting in the back seat, and uh, my friend Justin's in the front, and his girlfriend and Emily and I are all three in the back. And he was talking about the torque and the 0 to 60 capabilities, the qualities of that engine and uh and he was like, "Yeah, you know, there's no combustion, so there's like zero lag like you hit the gas and you go like even your highest performance combustion sports car
1: engine
0: right you know there's a little bit of that lag at first when you punch it mm-hmm. while everything's firing, but not so with the Tesla and so my <laughs> Justin melissa was like, Can you do it can you can you show us? He was like, Uh." All right. So he makes a couple of turns and goes to this area, this long straight road where it's pretty desolate and he knows he can do it. And he mm-hmm. stopped and he's like, "All right, everyone hold on." And we kind of laughed, "You don't necessarily no, hold on." <laughs> and he punched it, dude, and it was faster than any roller coaster, like even the ones that hydraulically launch you. Mm-hmm. Faster than anything I've ever experienced that quickly in my life.
1: Yeah, I've heard that about Tesla's actually. It
0: pushed us back into the seat physically push my head back against the headrest, and the only thing we could all do was like laugh and smile and I think Melissa screamed. <laughs> nice. Like a scream of delight. Yeah. We were like four children and it was like it was one of the coolest things. And of course I gave him this huge tip, which I think that's how he's paid for that Tesla. Sure, right. He's giving people joy rides. <laughs> yeah. He's like uh I guess I can anyway, it was great. That is not a prolonged ad for Teslas. I wish I could uh afford one of those things, but it was sure. very sweet.
1: Well, they have, like, a, a, a the, I guess, more affordable, comparatively speaking, Was it, the Model 3?
0: Mm, yeah, but I don't think that's the one that does what this one does.
1: I think all of them do, though, because they don't have that lag.
0: Yeah, but they all don't have that huge engine. Yeah, that's true. Like, sh- surely they don't all go this fast, right? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> we'll go look it up later. And I asked him, like a dummy, what, you know, how'd you buy this thing? And he went, I went to a Tesla dealership. I went, oh. <laughs> <Did he? laughs> He was thinking, Dad. Gotcha. <laughs> Should we take another break
1: after that Tesla story? We need to recuperate.
0: Yeah, I feel like I derailed this. So
1: no, no, no. I've got to, I've got to digest that whole thing.
0: All right, we'll come back and we'll uh, finally talk about physics.
1: Right, we are back, and it's time—it's time for the dreaded physics, which Chuck's feeling pretty good about. So, Chuck, why don't you take a crack at it, and then uh, I'll take a crack at it.
0: Well, I mean, I'm not going to explain it all and have you re-explain it. So, oh, okay, because <laughs> that's no fun for anybody. Well, you go ahead, but we can—we can, we can tag-team this thing. Oh, okay. Uh, the way I understand it is there are a few forces at work here that make this all possible. One of which is. Uh, Oh man, see, is it centrifugal or centripetal?
1: <laughs> I've I've seen that if you are a physicist, there is no such thing as centrifugal. It's okay. centripetal. All
0: right, so that's a, the one of the main forces at work. And if you are traveling on a on a just a regular street, uh, you don't. It's a pretty easy calculation if you're talking about the maths of centripetal force. It just gets complicated. When you're talking about a globe of death, because you're not on a flat surface and you're not just traveling horizontally on a round surface, you're right. going all over the place. So that's when it gets a little more complicated. Right. Keep going. <laughs> well, centripetal force is directed toward the center of a path, of a circular path. Yeah. Uh, you've also got the force, of, and this is just the overview. We'll get more detailed. There's also the force of gravity, of course, at work. When you're in one of these things, because when you're going upside down, as everyone knows, gravity is always directed straight down.
1: Yeah, or when you're like on, you know, perpendicular to the ground or parallel to the ground, like riding around in a circle, right? On the middle of the globe, it's still pushing you downward. Gravity's always pushing you downward. That's right. Okay.
0: And then finally we have the normal force, which, um, everyone's always heard the, the saying, uh, that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. If you go and press on something that's not movable, like a five thousand pound rock, and that rock doesn't move, it is that the normal force is that rock exerting its force back on you.
1: It's in an equal and opposite amount,
0: right? That's right. And if it if it wasn't there, and it's not always there, then you would push the rock and it would move. Right. Right. Yeah. Well done. But that's that's not all. Oh man. <laughs> like. What, what's, <laughs> so, how, how do these all work together? Here's, so here's what's been messing me up.
1: And I think this, this helped my breakthrough. Um, the, the force of gravity and g forces are not the same thing. This is what was messing me up. I'm like, if g forces make it feel like you're being pressed up against something, right? So like, do you, you remember, did you ever go on that like steel drum carnival machine? Oh yeah. We talked that would about that. Just, this. just spin, right? And you get pressed up against the, inside and they lower the floor uh-huh. and you're just you're just hanging there but well, you're like of course you're being pressed up against the edge apparently and this is why people think physicists are all crazy but apparently that's an illusion that doesn't that's not you're not actually being pressed up against the edge of it you're being pressed toward the center by the drum okay okay Th- that centripetal force and there's another way to think about this <clears throat> man i can do this chuck <laughs> if you took a key um, and you put it on a string okay. and you started swinging it over your head in a circle, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's spinning on an axis and the axis is where your the string is being held in the grip of your hand. That's the axis of the circle. Mm-hmm. What's happening is that key at any given time, it just wants to go straight. That's all it wants, man. Just let me go straight. Um, that's the direction of its velocity is straight at any given point. The problem is, is it's attached to the string, and the string is exerting the centripetal force, pulling the key toward the center. And so rather than it being allowed to go straight, it's being forced into a circular path around the center. That is what centripetal force does. Okay, that's all well and good when it's a key on a string. But when you're talking about the globe of death, the string is actually the globe. The globe is the thing that exerts the centripetal force against the person on the bike, right? There's no string pulling them toward the center. They're not being pulled toward the center by the string. They're being pushed toward the center by the external force of the globe of death, okay? And as long as that globe is strong enough to take the G-forces, which we'll talk about in a second, that increased weight against it, and push it back in an equal amount, then it will just keep directing that person along that circular path around the center, which is in the middle, this invisible point in the middle of the globe of death, right? If it's not strong enough, then it's going to break, and that person's going to go off in that straight direction that they've been wanting to go in the whole time, but have being, been directed into a circle instead.
0: Right. So in terms of an equation, in this case, centripetal force is equal to the the force of the gravity. On the motorcycle and the dude or lady, they have ladies that do this now. Yeah,
1: they do. They have a whole, um, a whole female team, which I'll tell you in a second once I find the name.
0: Uh, so it's that force, force of gravity plus that normal force that I was talking about on the motorcycle and the rider by the globe Mm -hmm. pushing back on that. So once like you can figure that out, like I said earlier with a math equation about how fast you need to go, as long as you know how big everything is, uh, that is the globe. But once that, once you go below that speed, and you start to fall, that, that normal force goes to zero. Right. So it
1: takes a bit of friction, um, to keep the tire gripped to the globe. For and sure. As, as long as you have that friction, that, that, um, normal force can press against you, uh, much more easily, right? Yes. Okay. So I think, so here's the thing. So this is the difference between the force of gravity and G forces. G forces are just a measure. Of how much gravity is pushing down on you yeah. at any given point. Like if you jump up in the air, that's one G that you're, you're, um, with no wind resistance that you normally experience. And we call it weight, right? That's your weight is the force of gravity acting on the mass of your body. <clears throat> but if you speed up really, really quick, especially say at like a, um, a circular velocity, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you're being, you, you are actually increasing your own weight which you feel is g-force it's like pressing down on you you feel heavy and you can't move and in in real physiological terms like the blood is being pressed away from its normal locations which is why you can black out right because some of the blood is no longer in some parts of your brain yeah and your brain needs the blood to operate but As far as the physics goes, gravity is always pushing downward on you. Remember that. And the g-force is pushing you and making you feel like you're being pushed outward when really it's the, the combination of your circular velocity and the radius, the distance between the edge of the circle and the center of the circle at any given point. And the more, the more you increase your speed or the less of the radius the stronger the g force or the higher the, the g force is against you so if you have a small little um globe of death or you're r- traveling really really fast in a globe of death you're going to very quickly reach a, a g force to where like you not only black out but you you can die from that as well right Sure. So they, they actually, like you said before, they, the timing is what they have in their heads, but they can sit down and, and mathematically calculate what they need to, what speed they need to hit at, what bike, what, like the weight that they need to be at and their bike needs to be at so that they can know as long as I hit the speed, I'm always going to be able to go anywhere I want to on the globe of death. That's right. I think we did a chunk.
0: Yeah. And so as far as G-Force goes, like what you can, what you can handle as a human, um, is what like about seven Gs is about the tops that you want to go, right? As as a person, I don't remember what James Bond. Uh, which one was that? Was that Octopussy? I don't know. I don't
1: think I've seen that one.
0: Yeah, he got in a in a in a G force machine, mm-hmm. which was basically a, a big. Uh, it was like a centrifuge, a big round room, right, with a pod on an arm. Uh, connected in, in the center and it would just spun him around. And of course he was like, give me, give me all you got. Sure. Uh, and then they gave him kind of a little ride and then the bad guy came in, the baddie and started cranking it even further and even further. And I just remember being a kid and seeing Roger Moore's face, like, uh, they must have just had some powerful uh, wind blower on him because his cheeks were rippling. I was like, oh my God. He's really in that thing. (laughs) Right. But I I think, I mean, I'm sure that they did not get the physics right and they probably pushed him to like 11.
1: So they, the, um, that really rings a bell, what you're describing. I guess I have seen. You saw those movies, didn't you? I've seen most of them. That's a Roger Moore one, so I would think I have seen it. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I just, that, that comes to mind. But, um, yeah, because I can see Roger Moore's face going like, yeah,
0: and that only happened once. Right, exactly. R.I.P. Roger Moore.
1: Yeah, for real. But you remember Colonel um John Paul Stapp, the guy who gave us seatbelts and crash test dummies? Oh, how could I forget? Remember, he, his eyes used to, like, burst blood vessels because of the amount of Gs that he was being pushed to. Yeah. But I think, so you mentioned the seven Gs. That was um what a guy named Guy Martin, who is a motorcyclist, who actually set the world record for the fastest anyone's... um hit a wall of death with, which is basically like a globe of death, but without the top and the bottom. It's more like a barrel.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um And that's just riding horizontally super fast mm-hmm. in his case. I think, what, he hit 78 miles an hour. Yes. And
1: the Guinness people
0: said, we're here and you got two chances to get to 60 miles per hour.
1: And he did like 72, I think, the first time and then 78 the second time.
0: I would like to have seen that. That was probably, it probably looked like Roger Moore. And I think that was Moonraker.
1: Uh, I don't I don't think I've seen Moonraker either.
0: Well, Moonraker was the one that was, uh, it was, for James Bond, it was very futuristic. Uh, had to deal with outer space and stuff like that. Doesn't he, like, do it in zero
1: gravity with the Bond girl? Of course he does. Um, what was the one where he's got that lotus that turns into a submarine?
0: Man... I want to say The Spy Who Loved Me. Or, uh, I think you might be right. I don't know. I know that, uh, geez, somewhere Matt Gourley is spinning in his chair in Los Angeles. Ah, I can't remember. I can't either. Yeah. I, I, I love my Bond, but I just don't have them all like mapped out and memorized. Gotcha. Uh,
1: if you do want to see that um, uh, guy, Martin, break that world record, apparently the Channel 4 over in the U.K., um, sponsored it so I'm sure they have it somewhere oh yeah yeah and lastly Chuck I have to give a huge huge shout out to um, PBS Digital Studios Crash Course Physics for helping break my brain into understanding of the centripetal force thing
0: Uh, you didn't go to uh, Nickelodeon science they didn't have it they didn't (laughs) have what I was looking for yeah we said this at live shows I don't know if we've ever said on the air but uh, children's science websites are great great places to understand complex mm-hmm. science if you don't get it. Um, we go there a lot, and that's we don't only go there, but a lot of times that's a great starting point yeah. for breaking things down in an easy way. Uh, so we highly recommend it. Agreed. There's no shame.
1: No, not at all. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, uh, if you want to know more about the Globe of Death, just go start watching Globe of Death videos. They're pretty awesome. Uh, and in the meantime, you can... Check out this article on HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said that, it's time for a Listen to Mail.
0: I'm going to call this flu epidemic. Okay. Hey, guys. I'm a master's of public health candidate in Atlanta at Emory. Nice. And we spent a good amount of time discussing the flu. I remember you mentioning the Spanish flu and wondered if such an epidemic could happen again. Bad news is it can and it probably will, uh, according to public health scholars, that is. The culprit is our meat industry which keeps an overabundance of fowl and pigs in tight, unsanitary quarters. Because of the way this industry is growing, and some might argue due to its lack of regulation, uh, these unsafe conditions lend to the rapid mutation of the virus. Uh, This, coupled with the ever-decreasing CDC budget, makes it harder and harder for vaccine scientists to create accurate vaccines. On top of all that, the flu is seen as a low threat by most of our society, rendering us ill-equipped and underprepared. Uh, most people are scared of Ebola or other difficult-to-catch viruses. However, influenza is a rapidly mutating and highly aggressive virus that is easily transmittable and is right here on our doorstep. Scientists predict the flu might be the ne- uh, next most deadly epidemic if we are not careful. My recommendation to our Congress people: stop cutting the CDC budget. Prevention is key. I know I probably sound like a quack, not to me. For real. But just wanted to spread a little knowledge and say hey to my favorite podcasters. Thanks for putting on such an amazing show. And that is from Jasmine.
1: Thanks a lot, Jasmine. Hello over there at Emory. That's
0: right. I love your rice.
1: <clears throat> what?
0: Jasmine rice. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> uh, weird. If you want to get in touch with us like Jasmine did, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josham Clark. You can hang out with me on my website, ruseriousclark.com. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's also Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us all an email, including Jerry, to stuff podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.